0: enough group. Uh, I'm, I'm always confident JK is going to ha- be happy to ask questions and have conversations and make statements, so as long as we got three of us in theory, I think that's not a terrible place for us to start. Uh, so, uh, with that, I will actually just kick us off. Uh, thank you for joining us on this lovely Tuesday as we continue the Deleuze and Watery quarantine Collectives ongoing reading of Anti-Oedipus. We are still <laughs> in. We are going to be Terminally forever in 4.3, uh, chapter 4, section 3, which is exciting because it's uh, really dense and bringing together a lot of things from earlier in the book uh, and a lot of other uh, sort of thinkers. Uh, we're in the process of going through Lacan, which is a whole thing. Uh, I will do my best to help guide us through it. I am not the Lacan expert, and Ken, who normally is, has been really busy lately and not able to join as often, which is a shame because it would be. Super, super useful. But with that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just dive in. Uh, I am sharing on my screen where we're at, if this works. There. Uh, Sharing my screen where we're at. Uh, The setup for us is pretty simple, Uh, a few new faces. As I go, I do a close reading of the paragraph. We try to go through mostly sentence by sentence, example by example. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have uh, ideas or other thoughts, don't hesitate to uh, jump in. Uh, it's, we do our best to keep it organized, but we'll uh, do what we can. Uh, otherwise, uh, I look forward to uh, hearing what all of you think. But to dive in, <sighs> everything hinges on the way in which the structure is elicited from the machines. According to planes of consistency or structuration and lines of selection that correspond to the large statistical aggregates or molar formations and that determine the links and reduce production to representation. That is where the disjunctions become exclusive and the connections global and the conjunctions biunivocal. At the same time that the support gains a specificity under a structural unity, and the signs themselves become signifying under the action of a despotic symbol that totalizes them in the name of its own absence or withdrawal. Yes, in fact, there the production of desire can be represented only in terms of an extrapolated sign that joins together all the elements of production, in a constellation of which it is not itself a part. There, the absence of a tie necessarily appears as an absence and no longer a positive force. The there, desire, is necessarily referred to a missing term whose very essence is to be lacking. The signs of desire being non-signifying become signifying in representation only in terms of a signifier of absence or lack. The structure is formed and appears only in terms of the symbolic term defined as lack, The great other, as the non-human sex, gives way in representation to a signifier of the great other as an always-missing term, the all-too-human sex, the phallus of molar castration. Damn, it's like diving straight in. I'm so sorry for any of you who are just joining us on this one. Uh, I do want to read a little bit of Eckert's here at the bottom, it's a footnote, uh, where Lacan talks about uh, the phallus of castration. For want of this signifier, all the others would represent nothing. Serge Leclerc shows how the structure is organized around a missing term, or rather, a signifier of lack. Quote, it is the elective signifier of the absence of a link, the phallus, that we find again in unique privilege of re- its relation to the essence of lack, an emblem of difference par excellence. The point in the language system there is a guarantor of the irreducibility of lack, the phallic Signifier. How strange all this is. Um, so, to start, we have just kind of come around and talked through the previous few paragraphs: how uh, desire forms elements, how these partial objects come together, how uh, how to phrase it, um, how the structure of uh, Lacan's sort of symbolic thinking comes about, and how do they explain this, how do they critique it, how do they have this discussion is kind of the underlying I think point of this paragraph, and they tend to dive straight fucking in, to say the least, Um, and it is not a not an easy paragraph so I maybe best we go line by line unless someone, uh, Jack do you want to try to take a top line through this? Because it's this is dense, and I think line by line is probably the only way to do it, but go for it
1: yeah, um, I'll try and give us a guiding theme for lying over them. Lying um. So we just saw Deleuze and Gwadry going through Lacan, right? And it's a similar point they make with Freud, that they have this conceptual lucidity um, to their work, right? That their work can't just be um, wholesaled as wrong, incorrect, or something not worth engaging. What they're parsing out here now, especially falling, right? So Freud doesn't have structuralism in his time, right? Lacan's working on that rubric, um, or at least working with that rubric to some degree. Uh, the move I see them making here now is to say both of them are dealing with representation and therefore repression, right? And that provides an entry point for structuration. That structuration now depends on the relationship of the molecular and the molar, which is to say that it's not so much that one precedes the other. It is to say that there's no structuration without that relationship, right? And that structuration, which, right, depends on this relationship so as to produce a representation, um, that is where we start getting the um, the, the three, basically the, it'll be five in a minute, but the three paralogisms more directly, right? You get lack, something in the assemblage that seems to be absent, and therefore defines the assemblage, provides it some sort of uh, transcendent unity. You get law, right? Or the exclusive disjunction, either this or that. He put it in, you know, like uh, the, the gender terms they use earlier, right? Either male or female, um, either bisexual, homosexual, right? There's this categorical kind of um, uh, importance. I don't want to say imperative, but there's a categorical fixation and you get, um, you know, biunivocalization, which is just to say that, um, in a simple sense, right, subjectivities are being conflated; they're they're being represented so that the um, the effects and the way that they're uh, consummating reality is being eschewed for kind of a representation of what that ought, what that would be.
0: Yeah, Tiernan yeah. nails it. It's either to say you fit the bill of representation or you don't in that long sentence, it was, it's a beast to read, but um, to say cleanly, sort of the part of it that I think helps with that. Um, uh, lines of consistency, structuration, planes of consistency or structuration and lines of selection that correspond to large statistical aggregates, large statistical aggregates, which are, again, laws of large numbers on average, what do people, what are people, what do people do, man, woman, these large aggregates, or molar formations, representations, that determine the links and reduce production to this representation, this, these sort of laws of large numbers. That is where the disjunctions become exclusive, one or the other, as Jack's talking about, to uh, this moment happens. The connections then become global. Uh, you connect to all men, all women, rather than persons, and the conductions by univocal. Uh, again, uh, turning into two, rather than just connecting as they do. Uh, at the same time, that the support gains a specificity under a structural unity, and the signs themselves become signifying under the action of a despotic symbol that totalizes them in the name of its own absence or withdrawal. This is the last bit uh, specifically talking about this. The, the nature of representation and itself is kind of talking through how lack is produced in the nature of how representation works within the Deleuze and Guattarian sense. For for Lacan, Lac is formed, and it's not far from, from D&G. Uh, you first experience lack, say, as an infant. Uh, you are breastfeeding. It's one of the first experiences we all have as humans. Uh, you're being fed at some point. Uh, during that feeding, it stops. That's kind of it. Uh, this moment creates a, compl- a a lack for Lacan uh, because where you were just being completely satisfied, excited, living, oh my God, this is amazing. Now suddenly you've had the thing pulled away and you understand that nothing is everything you want it to be, essentially. You can't just feed forever. It's not just the infinite breast and infinite milk. Instead, everything lacks. And so lack becomes this sort of core thing that creates desire in Lacan's uh, uh, sort of setup of the world. For here, they're talking about sort of the same setup that this large scale, these representations of things have lack, this is accurate, but that lack is uh, produced actually as part of it. As they say here, In fact, there, the production of desire can be represented only in terms of extrapolated signs that join together all the elements of production and a constellation of which it is not itself a part. Uh, When signs are produced, representations are produced, they're produced effectively by desire, but desire is not within representations. Uh, Representations are, think of them as almost a, a dust uh, dried husks of where desire once was it forms and then it leaves it and we're able to see kind of where desire sat and we oh well this is we wanted to fuck this we wanted to eat that these things sort of exist but desire is no longer within it this is what they're talking about there are uh, there at this moment this constellation of all of these desiring machines connecting we're able to See this thing, this new representation. And there, the absence of a tie necessarily appears as an absence, no longer as a positive force. Desire is no longer inside of the representations. When I say uh, I, I'm interested in my sexual partner, I'm not, my desire is not inside of the words I'm using or even the representation I have of them. It doesn't work that same way. It's referring, when we talk about desire, to this missing element. Uh, The signs of desire, being non-signifying, become signifying in representation only in terms of an absence or lack. The structure that is formed and appears only in terms of the symbolic term defined as lack, and the great other, in Lacanian sense, as the non-human sex gives way in representation to a signifier of the great other as an always missing term, the all-too-human sex, the phallus of molar castration. I, that's how I understand this paragraph, and I hope it explained it at least slightly okay. Please ramble and tell me where I'm wrong.
2: Would it be fair to say that the uh, Oedipal complex is kind of buried in the structure of Lacan's, um, you know, um, symbols and the imaginary, and that uh, it is, it is still, you know, um, the lack of a the lack is really an expression of the of the of that uh, despotic um, complex, uh, right? So, yes. That last, yeah. So that last part, that uh, first sentence, that long sentence, is the uh, you know like uh, uh, the despotic the despotic symbol that totalizes them in the name of his own absence or withdrawal. So the the lack becomes the the, the manifestation of uh, the uh, Oedipal complex and the and the, the signifier, right?
0: It, it becomes the the touchstone that sort of uh, like ice nine in Vonnegut's work crystallizes and creates the structure as it moves. Yeah, the 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 phallus plays a unique role. Again, they're not overall like shitting on everything Lacan did. The same way that they're not like doing a hyper critique of Freud, saying he's terrible. Freud's Idea around libido and this understanding of sort of abstracting out how desire operates was a a monumental moment in the history of humanity. Lacan, uh, while trying to undo Freud, uh, to run forward with a lot of the problems that, oh, you don't actually want to fuck your mom, you don't actually hate your dad. Instead, these Things represent, there's larger representations and symbolism at play inside of this. And here's the structure of thought that Oedipus is actually pointing at, is sort of how Lacan plays it. And they're saying, no, actually, by starting in this way, we actually produce this structure, desire does. And then when desire moves on or desire is no longer there and the structure hardens, suddenly we have this lack built into it. We've, we've produced the lack in our very nature of building the structure, uh, that's their critique of Lacan. Sort of short version.
2: Yeah, I read one commentary where he, uh, the guy, even said that uh, Lacan was the first uh, anti-Oedipus. But you can see that the um, the Oedipal uh, drives are, you know, uh, buried in this in the in the structure, and it's manifested in this kind of lack.
0: Well, that's the the great line they have about Lacan is that he's. Uh, someone who tied explosives to the pillars to blow them up, only to have them ex- blow up but then fall directly back into the holes that they, that they made. Uh, this, this perfect explosion that sort of just didn't really change very much, but moved, sort of moved the goalposts. It's a great formation they have around that. But again, a lot of this Lacan's stuff that he's playing with is to sort of, how to put it, um, Lacan is basically trying to push these ideas in order to create this critique of Freud, and he doesn't get far enough. um uh, really goes into it in some other texts as well, sort of, because he studied under Lacan. He, he came from that world. Um, he has a has a wonderful grasp of it, that it's just, we need to go further. We need to really play with these things in a very different spot, and that's, We'll kind of get into that in the next paragraph, um, uh, because uh, Lacan's play is not as hardcore as Freud's when it comes to Oedipus, but it's a little insidious in a unique way.
1: Yeah, as I, as I kind of think about it, right, so Lacan's not exactly wrong. He gets that there's the molecule and the mold. His work makes it possible to get this molecular-molar distinction, right? He opens up a lot of doors where they kind of have this level of auto critique is right, they I think they seem to begin at a point where the use of structure as represent and, and that plane representation that becomes the conflation of the molar and the molecular right. So that you mm-hmm. end up with that representation. That's it's a very subtle point, but I think it fits really well because if you if you follow that line of critique Especially as we're about to get into, you know, the the point about uh, Oedipus and that, right? It's really interesting how that changes your perspective on Lacanian thought, right? Because on one hand, he, he sees the right in a sense. You can say he sees the, desire in production. He sees representation. On the other hand, kind of like you're saying, Brutz, right? There's something happening just like with Freud, that causes uh, the representation to take. Um, precedence, right? And this is kind of their larger point about political economy and psychoanalysis going hand in hand, that the the fashioning of the representation and thereby the paralogisms, right? These are two technologies to to facilitate that political economy and um, psychoanalysis.
0: Any questions on this section, any other thoughts before I move to the next bit, as Jack and I have been alluding to? It, it wouldn't hurt to have a really solid understanding of Lacan during this, but that's like telling someone to have a solid understanding of Hegel in order to read Marx. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend it, and <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's possible. Uh, to the level that really is needed, there's some excellent secondary sources and readings and writings on this, including my favorite, which is Holland. But um, uh, there's a few other really great ones. I know Felix Buchanan's uh, piece goes into a little bit more on Lacan and juxtaposes them, uh, but it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, hopefully, we can start making more sense of it because now they're starting to get into uh, some more specifics around the con Here too, Lacan's approach appears in all its complexity, for it is certain that he does not enclose the unconscious in an Oedipal structure. He shows, on the contrary, that Oedipus is imaginary, nothing but an image, a myth, that this or these images are produced by an Oedipalizing structure, that the structure acts only insofar as it reproduces the element of castration, which itself is not imaginary but symbolic. There we have three major planes of structuration, which correspond to the molar aggregates. Oedipus as the imaginary re territorialization of private man, produced under the structural conditions of capitalism, inasmuch as capitalism reproduces and revives the archaism of the imperial symbol of the vanished or the vanished despot. All three are necessary, precisely in order to lead Oedipus to the point of self critique. The task undertaken by Lacan is to lead Oedipus to such a point. Likewise, Elizabeth Rudinesco has clearly seen that in Lacan, the hypothesis of an unconscious as language does not closet the unconscious in a linguistic structure, but leads linguistics to the point of its auto-critique by showing how the structural organization of signifiers still depends on a despotic great signifier acting as an archaism. Oh, God. I really wish Ken were here, God damn it.
1: guess then to i mean i'm no ken but just kick it off then so as i as i read the text, i've always struggled with like molecular molar and representational relationship on this paragraph kind of helps me because uh, as i read it there's like this right like we were just saying there's this relationship between the molecular and the molar between desiring production and social production and that through a process of lines of selection like they were saying right there is a representation developed that fits social production, and thereby, I think, um, in, a, in a manner of speaking, transcends social, rep- social production to represent it, and thereby representing um, the molecular, right? And this structuration, part of this process of lines of selection lap, the use of the paralogisms, um, plays into three main pieces of Oedipus, right? So you got Oedipus as the imaginary re-territorialization of private, private man. Produced under the structural conditions of capitalism. And as much as capitalism reproduces and revives the archaism. But, oh, yep, sorry. Produced un, so number two is produced under the structural conditions of capitalism. And number three is in as much as capitalism reproduces and revives the archaism of the imperial symbol or the vanished despot, right? So I'll kick off the first one and then I'll turn over to someone else to analyze. But just with that first point about structuration, right? Oedipus is the imaginary re-territorialization of private man. The thing that sticks out to me there is, right? So in the relationship of the molar and molecular, Oedipus deploys of um, movement to the imaginary that is a reterritorialization, in a sense, a um, a rezoning of 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 um, I don't want to just say private man, but of global persons more directly, right? Of people in the aggregate, um, particularly in the social field, and by doing that, there's a reimagining taking place, right? And this facilitates this kind of first level of uh, representational consistency.
0: I think for the second one, which is produced under the structural conditions of capitalism, an example of that may be, um, and again, Hi. I'm no expert, but an example of that may be how Lacan comes to, for example, look at uh, the father, uh, the, the name of the father. Um, this idea that it's not literally the father. Instead, it's about how the law is perceived within the economic system and that you're in, which is capitalism. So, um This idea of the re-territorialization of this private man produced under the structural conditions of capitalism, that being the determining factor of what law means, which in these terms is what the father means, which is Oedipus and how it plays. Um, This odd segregation of things and separation out feels like that one is probably close. One of the three uh,
2: major planes of major planes of structuration again? Is that the um, imaginary, symbolic, and socius?
1: No, it is. Um, Oedipus is the imaginary territorialization of private man. Uh-huh. The production of that under the structural conditions of capitalism. And then finally... And, uh, Reviving the, the archaism of the symbol.
0: imperial symbol. The imperial symbol returned the despot, whatever it may be. The vanished Thank despot. You.
1: And I, I like your point too, because what you're getting at is the second parallel, just and that fit really nicely.
0: I think it fits. I think it fits here because it's uh, the flow of it as we go through the planes of structuration, which is the literally the building of the structure. The private man is re-territorialized uh, through Oedipus. Uh, Oedipus creates based on the structural conditions inherent to the system, specifically capitalism, in, in this case, in our case. And then all of that, as well, reviving the imperial symbol, the the vanished despot uh, inside of that uh, and again, the name of the father, I think, is an interesting one because this is the big other the the determining, the despot that overwatches and is always there. all three of those come back, and this really leads Oedipus to the point of self-critique as they talk about uh but that's the next par- next paragraph, but that feels like. I don't know, that feels like close, maybe. Can I make
3: two points, maybe? Please. Um, in this sentence that uh, we were reading, uh, I wanted to make a point about uh, the first uh, uh, part, uh, Oedipus as the imaginary re-territorialization of private man. Since it is imaginary, I wanted to add uh, from psych. Analysis that um, imaginary in in only if it relates to that is in the sense of uh, uh, imaginary representation which is related to the ego. Uh, And if it's as I'm uh, saying, uh, it is the part uh, which is related to the ego, this first part, the second one. um, is related to the structural conditions of capitalism, but goes uh, uh, with uh, goes in relation to the third part, which is in as much as capitalism uh, reproduces and revives uh, the archaism uh, of the imperial symbol. I don't know what uh, uh, they mean by imperial symbol. Maybe they're pointing to something uh, they. Uh, discussed uh, in the, maybe earlier, but uh, the vanishing despot, and um, maybe not in Lacan, because I'm not uh, very much acquainted with uh, Lacan, but uh, from Badiou, reading Lacan, I could say that um, the vanishing despot is a vanishing term, and as a vanishing term, it uh, emerges a new metaphor. I mean a new division, a new uh, a new two, two like the number, uh, which Badiou says, uh, one divides into two. But uh, this division is made by a vanishing term. And this vanishing term opens up two metonymical chains, which in Lacan, I think they are um, symbolic chains, by which in this sense, maybe, it opens up for Oedipus uh, precisely in order to lead Oedipus uh, to the point of self-critique. Uh, we might see what uh, this self-criticism is, but uh, I wanted to make this point since we're missing some background maybe from Lacan. And well, one, that helps so much. Thank you plan. so very much.
0: Just saying thank you. Please continue. If you have anything, that's, what it's, that's yeah. absolutely helpful. And I, I my money is... The way they've been referring to this, and anyone feel free to disagree, um, the archaism of the imperial symbol or the vanished despot. The, when they use that term, I think they're aiming at the despotic socius uh, specifically, because what we've had moved uh, as we talk about the switch to capital is that we still have the despot, the des- the despots vanished, the imperial symbol of the the king's whatever press or the 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 crown or whatever it is becomes capital. It sort of gets stamped into capital at this point and becomes that element. But it's kind of moved to this really weird place where it's, uh, it's now an archa- archaism instead of the thing. Because one of the, the other things they've talked about with Lacan, and I think it's a fair general critique of Lacan, is he does kind of play back to this idea of the despot within people, whether it's the big other or how the egos formed or how lack form- forms uh, there, is a, there is a play from that direction. So I think that's what they're, ref- they're referring to there, uh, which is in line with what you're saying also, because I think that does follow from, and I'm not an expert on Badoo, but that does sound Badoo which is not a word. But sorry uh, 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 to ramble. I, I like maybe... that. I like that take. I like that take a lot.
3: Let, let's see maybe what's on uh, the, the self criticism, and maybe we can adjust uh, some things if I got that wrong. Maybe,
0: yeah, we'll read the next paragraph and we'll find out uh, which which how many of us are way off. Well, we'll find out how far off I am because I'm generally <laughs> kind of far off. Um, and it's, it's I... the it also real quick though at the end of the paragraph, they have the phrase. The structural organization of signifiers still depends on a despotic great signifier acting as an archaism. This sounds to me like the Lacanian idea of the master signifier uh, that they're referring to—the vanished despot, the imperial symbol, the signifier that all other meaning is generated from. The that element in the, that element inside of the symbolic for Lacan, if we're talking about imaginary and symbolic, is. Massive. It's core to his entire concept of the signifying chain and how we derive meaning from everything. We need the master signifier that itself doesn't necessarily uh, have sort of its own meaning, but all exists almost as a reference that exists to other elements. It doesn't, nothing connects to it. Everything connects to it. It doesn't connect to anything, kind of thing. The idea of the master signifier feels like that's what they're pointing at, too. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Jack. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I think that's it, though. It's it's, they'll call it the despot signifier. It's pretty much the same thing. The point is just to get that it's at the second socius. You really get that, um, or at least that it changes from the first socius, right? Because um, to add on to your point, did, did I lose you, Jack? I think what ends up happening with the archaism is you have overcoding and recoding, right?
0: Can anyone hear so me? You got that layer. Or am I it's like we from had an
1: in allusion to Kafka. But you've also got that process of decoding, so as to recode, right? So things are kind of seeming to change here. And I think that's okay.
0: Nine. So Jack is the one disconnecting. That's the Thank last one I would make. I was here terrified this for a point about there. correspondence. Jack, you're right? not coming through at all, dude. Because um, uh, <laughs> well, um, you're 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 breaking through. We'll go ahead and uh, move to the next. Uh, sure. We'll move to the next paragraph, and then uh, if we'll see if we can get your audio working again. Um. So to the point uh, Kedis made, we we'll get to self-criticism. What is this point of self-criticism? It Is is the point where the structure, beyond the images that fill it and the symbolic that conditions it within representation, reveals its reverse side as a positive principle of non-consistency that dissolves it, where desire is shifted into the order of production related to its molecular elements, where it lacks nothing, because it is defined as the natural and sensuous objective being, at the same time as the real is defined as the objective being of desire. For the unconscious of schizoanalysis is unaware of persons, aggregates and laws, and of images, structures, and symbols. It is an orphan, just as it is an anarchist and an atheist. It is not an orphan in the sense that the father's name would designate an absence, but in the sense that the unconscious reproduces itself wherever the names of history designate present intensities, the sea of proper names. The unconscious is not figurative, since its figural is abstract, the figure skis is not structural, nor is it symbolic, for its reality is that of the real in its very production, in its very inorganization. It is not representative, but solely machinic, and productive.
1: Is my uh, mic working now?
0: Hey, look at you. Hey, no, he look at you, with technology and <laughs> shit.
1: Yeah, maybe one day. Although I am Gregory Peckery, I'm responsible for the creation of the calendar. There we go. <laughs> uh, anyways, that was the po- So where they start off in that, that was the point I was uh, trying to get the conclusion there is there's a correspondence with the molar with social production. That's critical for representation, right? There has to be this kind of um, one way to say it is the seeming symmetry, right? This is part of why I think it's so effective is it can be, it can look that way, it can appear that way, the representation can appear um, as the molar, right? This point about the re territorialization of private man, that global persons can be represented this way, more so that social production takes on this kind of appearance. And I see that as being where they're starting out here, right? Is that the auto critique is important. And this is where they push Lacan to his auto critique in some ways, because what the auto critique does is it, it breaks the symmetry. Might even say it shows us how questionable the symmetry was in the first place. Go ahead, my friend.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's, it's worth taking a second to talk about the real inside of Lacan, because it's. I was wondering in the previous paragraph, and I've read this book a bunch of times, I don't know why I do this, but in the previous paragraph, they, they outlined the imaginary and the symbolic. Uh, as uh, Kedis really nailed, they're talking about kind of these elements, but they don't say the real, and the real is fairly central to Lacan's uh, entire take of things, if you wanna say it that way. I would say that. Um, the, the nature of Lacan is you have, uh, sort of the imaginary, uh, which is uh, how to put it. Um, it's, it's mm, it, I mean, it is. It's where the ego sits. It's the, uh, it's the space where we believe we exist. It's the sort of, I don't know how to put it.
1: Huh? Sounds like, based on what you guys are saying, preconscious. Sounds- pre-conscious, preconscious.
0: Is, preconscious is how he talks about it. I'm trying to think of a way that's not necessarily psychoanalytic to describe it, because Jesus Christ, like, these things are meaningless to the average person and very much to anyone who hasn't, like, dove into the con.
3: If um, I may well, add, the, for the ego, um, the ego, in you might call it uh, an imaginary representation of our body. All the play is done in the ego, I mean. Yeah, the
0: the way the world appears to us is that like too stupid to say. It's Uh,
3: well, uh, in some sense, you can say uh, that uh, because um, the imaginary representation is, uh, and the imaginary representation uh, of the world is made according to an. um, an 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 imaginary body in some sense, and that imaginary body is configured in the ego. Uh, if you are familiar with the um, uh, Z or Zeta schema in uh, Lacan, uh, mm-hmm. ego is, is uh, where the work is done with the patient, and uh, there is where uh, The you can start to read uh, the schema. Uh, So it's the the element
0: that arrives. Sorry, it's it's the element that arrives during the mirror stage, where an infant realizes they exist. They start to see themselves, and they begin constructing representations around this process. Sort of at that moment, it's it's decidedly narcissistic and ego-driven world creation with yourself at the center, kind of idealized desires, idealized representations are formed during that. Am I far off? I'm trying to find an easy way to describe it because it's important that like we get across this, not directly in a Lacanian way, because the, the frustration I have then is they're, what they're doing here is they're talking about this point of self-criticism where we flip things. To do that, we have to have like a, a real good feeling and understanding of what the side is we're flipping. And the side we're flipping is the symbolic and the imaginary, this place of the narcissism and the representations that are created and the structure that, as they say, beyond the images that fill it, the imaginary, and the symbolic that conditions it within the representation. We have the reverse side, which is the real, as they say here, and they play with. But it's really a tough, this is a tough one because you need a background in Lacan. Um, so I'm sorry if I'm rambling. Um,
1: no, these are, these are phenomenal points.
0: Sorry, Cadis. I didn't mean to interrupt. It's, I'm trying to find a way for us to get to that point. No. Please continue. Uh, uh,
3: I i, uh, I uh, In a way, uh, I just wanted to make uh, that point about uh, the ego, because um, it is the easier to grasp um, the role of the ego and the formation of the ego, but you, I think you put it uh, rightly. Uh, if we had um, somebody from uh, uh, the um, with a background from psychoanalysis, of uh, we would have had a better definition about. Uh, um these con- these concepts, but uh, we still um, can grasp the- them, and we have uh, uh, good enough uh, grasp on them. Um, I uh, maybe I'll search about uh, the schema I was telling you about uh, in the meanwhile, and uh, uh, maybe uh, with um, image in front of us, uh, maybe I can add some something more. Yeah, Just I think
0: no, that would that would be great. Um, the so yeah, the the side we're talking about, and it's I, I think they're making this very particular play. Um, the this idea that we have a the imaginary and the symbolic which flow together. They're very much together and intertwined and uh, rely on each other. Ultimately, they are constantly at tension with the other side of things uh, because we have the imaginary and the symbolic, which are uh, our perceptions of the world as an ego conditioned by the symbolic order we find ourselves in and the social structures. Those are the two elements. The real is the other side. The real is the infant. Uh, This is where I think D&G, you know, crossed directly over. The infant uh, just wants. uh, Lacan, I think, refers to it as needs um, rather than desires. But I think sort of, it's not drastically different. It's this idea that just there is want or desire or things, but the infant doesn't have names for things. It doesn't understand the shape of stuff. It just knows, give me things I have needs uh, or wants, depending on who you're talking through. That is the state of the real but at some point when we realize we exist or we enter into language or we enter into the symbolic order, we no longer can perceive the real directly. The real is, has no d- meaning in itself. Uh, this the Zizek's term, uh, welcome to the desert of the real that everyone's used that his book was called. This is kind of from that. Uh, it's also uh, the desert of the real line and matrix uh, is very much intended to be representative of this underlying thing as well. Um, This other side though, that is, for Lacan, need, to them, they see this other side as, uh, as they say very clearly here. Um, Because it is defined as the natural and sensuous objective being, at the same time as the real is defined as the objective being of desire. For the unconscious of schizoanalysis is unaware of persons, aggregates and laws, images, structures, and symbols. It is an orphan. But it's not an orphan because the father did something or it's relationship. It doesn't know the fucking father. It doesn't give a shit about the father. The unconscious itself just reproduces itself wherever the names of history designate present intensities. The sea of proper names is a reference to their earlier points about how Uh, the schizos in treatment where various people are able to just pluck out who they are at any given time. What are their proper names? Who are we at any given moment? That is the sea of proper names based on, you know, essentially my momentary contingencies and that direct bit of the real, they see this as the unconscious, the place of desire. It's not figurative since it's figural is abstract. It doesn't have a figure. It is not structural, nor is it symbolic for its reality is that of the real in its very production, its very organization, in organization. It is not representative, but solely, solely machinic and productive. Oh, and see, this is the diagrams that you're going to pull up Geddes. And this, isn't, this is not a slight against you. Lacan's diagrams I've always found uh, almost hilarious because it's like he puts them in there to help you understand, and I've only had the opposite
3: experience.
0: <laughs> like, oh, hey, I thought I grasped it, now I see this and I don't know. I couldn't
3: find any in English, but uh, I'll try to... uh, I remember most of them and I think I can get them uh, right. Uh, We start uh, from the lower left corner and uh, there is the eagle and uh, there is uh, the position... uh, of the subject in question or or, or the um, analyzed in uh, Lacan. And uh, uh, that A is in some sense uh, the imaginary body with which uh, the small other, which is uh, in the upper right corner, is reflected it's made sense to and this uh, relation from a to a prime from left bottom corner uh, from the ego and uh, to the right uh, up uh, is the imaginary uh, relation Uh, so for every object in the world the upper right corner There is an uh, imaginary position uh, related to the um, form, the shape of the body in the left bottom uh, corner. I wouldn't like to enter into specific details because I'm not uh, into psychoanalysis, and I wouldn't like to say things that they are not. But I would like to go to the other points. Please, uh, please just please. as briefly. You know, by as the things. way,
0: that was that was a very fair description of all of it, as far as I'm aware. So I wouldn't say you don't understand psychoanalysis. You you have a pretty decent grasp for sure.
3: Thanks. I'll I'll try to make sense of this one. So from uh, the uh, bottom left corner, where the ego is, the uh, moi, uh, we move uh, to the bottom right corner, which is the big other. And uh, the point of uh, the big other in this sense is to... Um, Posit, or maybe it is the position the the positing of in i mean of the laws in which we recognize the uh, the small other which is above it and these laws as you can see are on the unconscious part of the psyche because uh, there where is written uh, inconscient is uh, from French unconscious, I think. And uh, this is uh, on the unconscious side of the psyche. So the laws are uh, of course, are uh, unconsciously uh, settled in this sense, but uh, choosing the right uh, big other means choosing, in some sense, the right laws in which to judge or to apprehend the small other, which is in front of us. Uh, Why uh, the big uh, other is in the unconscious side? It is, uh, and uh, it is related to the laws uh, from the page you were reading. Uh, It is because um, uh, it's structured in language and uh, it is the same language uh, we use to make sense of uh, the other in relation to our body which is uh, the ego the left so we have three points of the schema right now Uh, i think uh, the other Uh, And the final point is uh, the symbolic relation. There where the uh, S is. And the the symbolic relation and uh, the symbolic development happens in in that position. Uh, But uh, still, uh, uh, I hope it's uh, something because I wouldn't like to go into further details. Maybe Ken is uh, very used to this, and maybe we can ask him uh, the next time.
0: Yeah, we'll try to get, we'll try to get him in here. To, to, to say simply, I will do my best, but to say simply, one of the things Lacan really gets at throughout Eckritz and, I mean, Badu as well is, just in general, how language allows people to talk. To put it, like, just how do I say something to someone, know that those words are going to mean the things, be able to have a conversation. Well, I do that by utilizing kind of this structure. And in order to do it, my relationship with any subject is necessarily based on my own experiences, but it's based on also what my language or the collective language we have is conditioned by. And that conditioning is done by the big other or really also the little other in its own way through sort of imaginary uh, relations, which is that middle line going back from the little a- the other to myself, to the ego. It's a really interesting schema that plays with the idea that the nature of things aren't necessarily the things themselves, that the imaginary hides the sort of structure underneath. That's what it does, that's kind of its job. Uh, And the structure underneath is something that we can't necessarily directly deal with, this being the real. Uh, We don't have the ability to see it directly. Uh, we can't experience it directly. It's, it's um, impossible uh, for us. And so as we play with these things and as they get into it, their critique here is uh, the self-criticism of it is it's sort of built in to get to that real, what the real is. To them, it's the, this positive principle of non-consistency. It's an affirmation of the nature of the real that Lacan sees as uh, chaotic, and impossible to understand. And they agree, but to them, it's a productive chaos, machinic in nature that, uh, perhaps too complex for us to, you know, directly comprehend and certainly has nothing to do with representation, but things come out of this. And, uh, that's that last line here. It's reality is that of the real capital R in its very production, in its very in organization, it is not representative Solely machinic and productive. And here, this is where they start getting into their take on Lacan, their take on uh, lack, and their take on desire, and all of these things. And this last bit, I'll move to the next paragraph, which is a little bit longer, but they start getting into uh, sort of directly schizoanalysis. Uh, Jack, let's make a note to annoy Ken and get him next week, or when we do a review of this, we may have to do a review of this because this is like 4.3. This is our fourth reading, fifth reading. In a row, we're going to get through maybe two paragraphs before we finish the day. So, let's see if we can get Ken for a review of this and spend time on it. Um, But I'll I'll finish the next paragraph. Destroy, destroy. The task of schizoanalysis goes by way of destruction. A whole scouring of the unconscious. A complete crotage. Destroy Oedipus. The illusion of the ego. The puppet of the superego. Guilt. The law, castration. It is not a matter of pious destructions, such as those performed by psychoanalysis under the benevolent neutral eye of the analyst, for these are Hegel-style destructions, ways of conserving. How is it that the celebrated neutrality, and what is psychoanalysis calls, dares to call, the disappearance or the dissolution of the Oedipus complex does not make us burst into laughter? We are told that Oedipus is indispensable, that it is the source of every possible differentiation, and that it saves us from the terrible non-differentiated mother. But this terrible mother, the Sphinx, is herself part of Oedipus. Her non-differentiation is merely the reverse of the exclusive differentiations created by Oedipus. She is herself created by Oedipus. Oedipus necessarily operates in the form of this double impasse. We are told that Oedipus in its turn must be overcome and that this is achieved through castration, latency, desexualization, and sublimation. But what is castration, if not still Oedipus, to the nth power, now symbolic and therefore all the more virulent? And what is latency, this pure fable, if not the silence imposed on desiring machines so that Oedipus can developed, be fortified in us, so that it can accumulate its poisonous sperm and gain the time necessary for propagating itself and for passing on to our future children. And what is the elimination of castration anxiety in its turn? Desexualization and sublimation, if not divine acceptance of and infinite resignation to bad conscience, which exists for the woman of the appeased wish for a appeased penis, destined to be converted into a wish for a baby and for a husband and for the man in assuming his passive attitude and in subjecting himself to a father substitute. I will leave the analysis to you, Jack, after we to into the restroom. I'll be right back. It's a pretty crisp paragraph, so... You okay? You good? Yeah, I can uh, kick it right. off. Lead away, I'll be back. Where to
1: start? I guess where I would start is... um. So, we just finished talking about how basically, right, um, at least how I understand the, the previous paragraph, is their point is um, if you put in classic like Freudian psychoanalytic language, um, the basic development is that representations, um, it's kind of an evolution of the reality and the pleasure principle, right? Where the pleasure principle desires at the point of the id and those pleasures and that those desires more or less are the meat of the unconscious um, with some complices like Oedipus kind of tossed in there later on by Freud, right? And the ego's job is to basically negotiate that through the reality principle and tie those desires to objects in reality. And so the big move I see them making here is that this aspect of representation, right? is got this uncanniness with the unconscious. And that's why it's kind of this orphan because the unconscious is basically, um, in a sense it breaks with the representation more directly. It, it, it was never of the representation, right? And this is their big move because this point about auto critique, this point about um, how Oedipus relates the unconscious, what it does in developing an auto critique, this is, I think, the primary um, or at least a primary aspect of schizoanalysis where they write destroy, destroy, right? What they're getting at is more or less kind of the breaking of this uncanniness. Um, and it should, it should call to mind, I think, what they say earlier about um, capital as destroying and disseminating uh, codes in that, right? But there's a difference. There's a difference in the schizophrenic um, element here, there's a difference in this destruction and that is to say, right, political economy and psychoanalysis, this kind of Hegelian point they're making here, or this point about that Hegelianism, is to conserve what is being reconfigured, right, to change it anew. And that's one form of uncanniness, the way the representation is changing, right, kind of do a morphology there. On the other hand, that destruction of the representation such that we um, are focusing on the unconscious in terms of its syllogisms, right, this different form of uncanniness, that kind of destruction, that lets loose the unconscious and its production. And by doing so, right, we're not dealing with the reality principle in terms of its preconsciousness, in terms of what the ego does for desire right, or what structure allows the ego to do, said in a different way. Um, instead, we're dealing with desire as the production of the real, and therefore, right, we are dealing with reality in its production, thereby in its change, right, it is shifting, it is morphing, it's reconfiguring, right, there's this whole element of production that consummates the subjectivity of the unconscious, right? It consummates it as the subject. And I think that's in a nutshell what schizoanalysis is getting at. Um, In some sense, it's an uncanniness of the representation being destroyed and allowing the unconscious to basically, um, you know, to produce itself, right? To produce itself without cause for um, reference to a representation which is why psychoanalysis gets their laughter, right? Is, well, you, you say you're tearing down Oedipus, but then you we're right back into a different element of Oedipus, or we're at a different point of it, or Oedipus is different, right? The, the clubbed foot is on the other um, leg, so to speak. But, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I see it. What do you guys think?
2: So Is he, is he critiquing uh, Lacan? or this kind of um, uh, uncanniness uh, in his um, structuralism of the um, Oedipal complex?
1: I mean, we've always got to be... If if, but I think it's fair to say they bring Lacan to a point of auto-critique. They're also pointing out that their kind of reading of Lacan is to say that he is trying to do what they're doing, right? So it's kind of a... If you think about the, the classic Lacanian point that he is he considers himself to be kind of this true interpreter of Freud, right? they're kind of saying, right, well, then I was the true interpreter of Freud. In our interpretation of you, you are the uh, supposed to be destroying Oedipus, right? Um, and so in that point, in when Lacanian psychoanalysis fails to do so, when it remains caught in structuration, it is at a point Schizoanalysis is there to bring it to a point of autocritique, right? Because it would have the potential to do what schizoanalysis does, but that potential is um, caught up in the representation, right? Caught up in structure, which they think Lacan is, um, which they read Lacan as not trying to do, as pointing it out and trying to do something about it as opposed to being caught up in it. Even though they point out that he does get caught up in right, there's a there's a point they're being made. um, They're very carefully making here.
2: Lacan is uh, lacking this kind of auto critique.
1: Yeah, it's it's possible for him, but he doesn't always get there right. Like the pylon joke brought brought up, right? There's, it's it's possible, but then it merits our laughter when we're just we go from Oedipus to the sphinx. Sure. right? It's right back. We didn't really yeah. go anywhere, right? You just kind of change scenes, same movie. It's not the infernal machine, right? So
2: there's in Lacan, there's uh, nowhere he that he. Uh, he has any critique of, um, of capitalism, does he? Hmm.
1: I, I don't know if Lacan's considering political economy. Um, Deleuze and Guattari seem to think that he's got an eye on social production, right, and representation. So at some level, it probably factors in um, I don't know how much further it goes than that.
2: As a way, uh, Zizek, um, you know, makes use of Lacan. Um, uh, he seems to have a he seems to have a more of a um, you know Hegelian and Marxist um, critique of uh, of uh, social production.
1: Yeah, it's ironic to to be <laughs> it's ironic to say that. Uh, Right after we just read the line for these are Hegel style destructions, ways of conserving. Um, But yeah, Zizek is definitely, I think he does try to take Lacan into um, that kind of realm.
3: Uh, I would like to make some uh, point on the last question uh, uh, concerning the engagement of uh, Lacan, or maybe even Freud, on uh, political economy. Uh, I don't think they um, they really uh, engaged in political economy. Um, maybe uh, even if they're touched upon uh, themes, for example, I can recall uh, civilization and discontents from Freud. It's uh, somehow uh, he tries to go from the field of psychoanalysis to enter in the field of uh, society, which is related to politics, and uh, different critics say that uh, he is uh, being political uh, and uh, when everyone uh, tries uh, to say that I'm not trying to be political, like Freud maybe mentions in the Civilization and discontent texts. Uh, they say that that's precisely the moment where he is uh, trying to uh, be political. Uh, we can find such moments in uh, different texts from Freud. For example, there was uh, uh, th- there are some texts uh, related to anthropology, uh, and uh, uh, there is um. um um, there was some, uh, how do you say it, I, I, I can't find the right word, but uh, uh, Freud exchanged some letters with Einstein uh, to uh, seek a way uh, to uh, stop uh, wars. But it, it was an engagement from the United Nations to get Einstein to collect uh, the greatest mind uh, minds of the time. And uh, he wrote to uh, Freud, and uh, there is another uh, text where Freud engaged in such conversations. I think uh, you can find such texts even in Lacan, but uh, none of them uh, really engaged in uh, matters of uh, politics. Um, uh, On the other side, uh, there is uh, Marx which wrote, uh, strictly speaking, uh, critics to uh, the political economy, uh, the capital, I mean. And uh, uh, that is uh, uh, political economy, but uh, in his political economy, there lacks the consideration uh, from the perspective of uh, the human subject, I would roughly say. Uh, This part from uh, Lacan and Freud. Uh, uh, People usually uh, try, many people, I I think, I'm not just talking uh, for uh, people in general, uh, try to make a relation uh, between Marx and uh, other authors on on his side, Marxists, uh, basically, and uh, the um, uh, psychoanalysis from Freud and Lacan. Uh, in this point, you mentions that it would be a false bridge to create this relation between uh, Marxists and psychoanalysis. But uh, on the other side, they both shed light on each other. Uh, uh, this uh, strain of thought is uh, generally treated uh, in uh, Badu theory of the subject, and uh, if you want, if somebody may might be interested, uh, they can find it on. Uh, theory of the subject and uh, the reason why uh, there's no real relation in uh, between psychoanalysis and uh, uh, marxism uh, is because uh, they're not really related they do not they do not have an area in which they overlap But you can find them both related in uh, the philosophy of Badiou, for example. And I think uh, the example of Deleuze-Guattari is another one. But uh, I I don't uh, know uh, very good uh, Deleuze and Guattari as much as I know Badiou. And that's why I'm taking the Badiou example. Uh, In Badiou, you can find uh, both treated, both... um, uh, explained and uh, read in detail uh, because uh, uh, marxism stands on the truth of the political events or the political truths uh, meanwhile psychoanalysis stands on the uh, the truth of love and uh, if you're acquainted with uh, Badiou's uh, philosophy, uh, there are uh, four types of truths. Uh, 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 the truths uh, in love, truths in politics, and uh, somehow Badiou explains that love is the minimal political subject, the subject uh, made of two, not of many, like politics. And there are other two other truths, uh, the scientific truths and the truths of art, works of art, I mean, in this sense. And uh, 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 while Badiou is in uh, his philosophy, as I understand it, while Badiou is trying to um, um, uh, deal with the emancipation of uh, society because of uh, his uh, event of the May 68, which uh, uh, it it, um, it hit Badiou in some sense and uh, made him uh, engage in uh, critical thinking and uh, made him develop in different seminars theory of the subject. Uh, uh, He is uh, trying in some sense to make, uh, um, not to make, but to shed some light on the necessary qualities the society in uh, that time needed uh, to engage in, and uh, there was uh, 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 where he developed the, uh, the theory about these uh, four types of truth I'm talking about, which you can find uh, in more detail in theory of the subject, I'll just leave it at that for the moment.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a one of the big problematics kind of post-Freud, right? Is Because we see, like, the Frankfurt School, and we see, obviously, in France, a lot of thinkers are trying to figure out what to do with Marxism and what to do with Freud, right? Particularly psychoanalysis. By the same token, right, you even get um, thinkers like Sartre, right? How do we take Marxism and um, existentialism and make a method out of that? And that's kind of the the interesting thing is like uh, Deleuze and Guadery, Klausowski. Um, and perhaps even Badu. I'm not as familiar with them. They seem to be able to pull off that um, I don't want to say they're just trying to combine them, but they seem to be able to pull off developing a method out of the two. Um, That's pretty convincing.
0: Well, I also, I do want to mention also real quick, because how I came to Lacan is actually through Marx. Um, the, The big fuzzy bear that Zizek is totally does his work towards sort of fusing the two and bringing them together but uh pierre bruno's sort of book on uh the symptom is i found fantastic for sort of understanding sort of what might be a really nice gap between them and then uh uh samo uh Tamshik, uh i will never pronounce it correctly it's uh, Capitalist Unconscious is the title of the book uh, does the same thing some, some wonderful texts that uh, kind of get towards <clears throat> a lot of what you're talking about with Lacan and political economy and, and Marx really good stuff out there there's, there's a lot it's just I mean Badu is so ridiculously prolific and I mean one of the if not top I mean Zizek would be angry but top like understanders of, of Lacan to say the least It was great. We we never get Badoo people in here, uh, by the way, Kittis. So this is this has been great for me. I'm hoping for everyone else too. But I've been I've been indulging. It's, this is nice.
3: Uh, thanks. I, I wanted to say that uh, Zizek uh, would be happy if you if he heard you say that because uh, Zizek is uh, frequently saying that if you have time to uh, read my books, uh, of course you have time to read Hegel, but you can't, and so on.
0: And so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on.
3: on. Yeah, Um, precisely. He's... there's some kind of uh, political activist in psychoanalysis. Uh, he's not so much uh, a theoretician like uh, so many philosophers. He's they're, a practitioner in, in politics.
0: I, I would I would really love to see more because uh, I know Zizek and Badu have done talks together and and different things. I'd love to see more of them, like literally just interacting, because they are. I mean, maybe not see it, but have someone animate it because the discussions they have are fascinating and it's generally over my head, but um, they're, they clash and agree at the same time in hilarious ways. Um, I, I, it's always been interesting to me, But thank, so thank you for that. Um, I'm sorry I had to run to the uh, restroom. We'll, uh, did we get through most of the paragraph at least, Jack? So I can move on or... Or should we keep going in the paragraph?
1: Um, I think so. Do you guys, is there anything else you wanted to hit in this paragraph?
0: All right. Fair enough. Um, the play of the paragraph uh, simply is them talking through uh, Oedipus and how it sort of stuck around inside of Lacan and how uh, they they don't, you didn't get rid of it. You didn't disloot. It didn't disappear. It's now playing different roles, and it works differently. Um, The next paragraph, I think, makes it a lot more clear as well. We are all the more extricated from Oedipus as we become a living example, an advertisement, a theorem in action, so as to attract our children to Oedipus. We have evolved in Oedipus. We have been structured in Oedipus and under the neutral and benevolent eye of the substitute. We have learned the song of castration, the lack of being that is life. Yes, it is through castration that we gain access to desire. What one calls the disappearance of Oedipus is Oedipus become an idea. Only the idea can inject the venom. Oedipus has to become an idea so that it sprouts each time a new set of arms and legs, lips and mustache. In Tracing Back, the memory deaths, your ego becomes a sort of mineral theorem which constantly proves the futility of living. We have been triangulated in Oedipus, and will triangulate it in turn. Uh, From the family to the couple, from the couple to the family, in actuality, the benevolent neutrality of the analyst is very limited. It ceases the instant one stops responding, Daddy Mommy. It ceases the instant one introduces a little desiring machine, the tape recorder, into the analyst's office. It ceases as soon as a flow is made to circulate, that does not let itself be stopped by Oedipus, the mark of the triangle. They tell you you have a libido that is too viscous or too liquid, contraindications for analysis. Uh, does that does sound a little double-bindy to me, Jack. Nah. Not at all. Um, the play when you go in, the way the analyst's couch works... Uh, The line here I love, it ceases the instant one introduces a little desiring machine, the tape recorder, into the analyst's office. Um, This isn't saying that the tape recorder breaks things by being a tape recorder. It's that you have that machine, and in the process of analysis, in the analyst-analyst-and relationship, having that third party that's just recording. What will happen with that? What will do with that? What is that going to do? What is that? How does that machine connect to the rest of it? We have to keep psychoanalysis closed. You have to be safe in the room. No one outside of it. You can't have more than two. That would just be too much. Um, it's a little bit of a uh, Gutari in here, uh, as he is basically shitting on the core structure of psychoanalysis. That. Uh, itself plays the role of daddy mommy and edipolization. Uh, but that's what he's talking about here, the tape recorder. It, it ruins everything. Uh, in the same way that yeah, a lot of stuff ruins the spirit of the thing or breaks the elements uh, because they just can no longer be triangulated because you have that fourth element. Oh dear lord, whatever will we do with that?
1: Yeah, to add to that, right? This part And part of what we're getting here is the I think the reinforcement of the relationship of psychoanalysis and political economy, right? This point about um, Oedipus needing to be an idea, one that can only by virtue of being an idea, inject a venom, right? What I think they're kind of getting at here is this need for, right, just like I was saying in the previous paragraph, right? Capitalism has the power to destroy and disseminate. But like we said, that third aspect of structuration is a recoding aspect. That is to say, um, this point they make earlier in 3.9 about the becoming concrete, this is one thing I think is part and parcel for that relationship uh, political economy and psychoanalysis is that what capitalism kind of facilitates is this point about Oedipus becoming concrete, right? Being able to be, be an idea and congeal in classic Marx terms. At the same time, psychoanalysis facilitates that um, at the level of the therapeutic, right? Um, which I think is kind of what Burtz is getting at with this point about the tape recorder. Another way to say it is, for the BWO to be involved in recording, things would rupture or things could rupture.
0: Yeah, uh, it's uh, unknown, untriangulated. How is that machine going to operate? How does it work? I know how our machines work. We have a clock right there that tells me when we're done. You give me money, and I tell you that you need to be edipolized, and we're very set up. It's a, The play is written before the actors get on stage. I've made that point dozens of times in the book already that uh, every analyst's couch is the same and behaves the same. Uh, but introduce a tape recorder. Oh, dear Lord, the whole system is broken. What are you going to do? What the fuck? Any questions, comments on this, uh, I'm happy to get to the next paragraph. Because we get to get to Fromm, which is great. And uh, some Wilhelm Reich, which will be good. All right. When Fromm denounces the existence of a psychoanalytic bureaucracy, he still doesn't go far enough, because he doesn't see what the stamp of this bureaucracy is, and that an appeal to the pre edipal is not enough to escape this stamp. The pre edipal like the post edipal is still a way of bringing all of desiring production, the an back to Oedipus. When Reich denounces the way in which psychoanalysis joins forces with social repression, he still doesn't go far enough, because he doesn't see that the tie linking psychoanalysis with capitalism is not merely ideological, that it is infinitely closer, infinitely tighter, and that psychoanalysis depends directly on an economic mechanism, whence its relations with money, through which the decoded flows of desire, as taken up in the axiomatic of capitalism, must necessarily be reduced to a familial field, where the application of this axiomatic is carried out. Oedipus, as the last word of capitalist consumption, sucking away at daddy mommy, being blocked and triangulated on the couch. So it's psychoanalysis, no less than the bureaucracy or military apparatus is a mechanism for the absorption of surplus value, nor is this true from the outside extrinsically. Rather, its very form and its finality are marked by this social function. It is not the pervert, nor even the autistic person who escapes psychoanalysis. The whole of psychoanalysis is an immersive, immense perversion, a drug, a radical break with reality, starting with the reality of desire. It is a narcissism, a monstrous autism, the characteristic autism and the intrinsic perversion of the machine of capital. At its most autistic, psychoanalysis is no longer measured against any reality, it no longer opens to any outside, but becomes itself the test of reality hey. and the guarantor of its own test. I'm sorry, i
3: sorry.
0: Hey. And muting Doug. Um, no longer opens to any outside, but becomes itself the test of reality and the guarantor of its own test. Reality as the lack to which the inside and the outside, departure and arrival, are reduced. Psychoanalysis index sui, with no other reference than itself or the analytic situation. There's so very, very much uh, said here. Um, let's talk about Fromm and let's talk about um, Reich. So, Eric Fromm wrote a lot of books on psychoanalysis. Uh, Comparing it, the one I've read uh, that we've talked about here mostly is uh, Psychoanalysis and Religion, um, where he's really fascinated by kind of how psychoanalysis carries those things forward, plays with them. Um, Specifically here, he spends a lot more time talking through sort of his overall critique of this idea that there is a large superstructure of psychoanalysis, um, that we shouldn't have such a thing that everyone needs, that it's contingent, it's based on the person, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately he did not necessarily appeal to doing away with all of psychoanalysis or anything like that. Instead, he started from some very odd spots uh, that uh, they call here the pre-edipal, but it essentially exists and signifies the rest of the Oedipalization of knowledge and uh, your personal emotions and creative capacities. This, this sort of setup that he played with, um, I think is more what they're sort of talking about here. Fromm had some very interesting critiques of things. Um, some really good books. Is anyone else familiar, more familiar with Fromm? Because he's part of uh, Jack mentioned, or... Uh, was just mentioned the Frankfurt School a moment ago. Ed Fromm's part of that, um, part of that world.
1: I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? By to appeal to the pre-ethical is to appeal to edipalization, right? Because there's um on one hand there's a kind of individuation, right? There, there's a process. On the other hand. The pre-Oedipal is on edible terms, right?
0: Mm-hmm. But and like, he, he, oh, he spent a lot of his time, just real quick, because the, the allegory he always used was um, Adam and Eve and the biting the tree of knowledge, uh, biting the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The idea that um, knowledge is what kind of corrupts, sort of plays at that um, idea of guilt and shame. And he very much spent his time talking about that sort of pre-human, I think is actually how he talked about it. Pre- that pre edipal state very much talking about sort of that innocence, but it existed as pre edipal to, to the point it's, it's not like its own state of, of naivete. It's specifically in relation to basically an Edipalized capitalist subject, which presupposes the larger structure to say the least.
1: Right. You're still in an uncanniness of representation, right? Yes. And that's that's even part of the difficulty with Reich, yeah, because Reich, this is where the, the typical Marxian move fails, right, at least for Deleuze and Watery, um, And I think convincingly so is if you appeal to this problem of psychoanalysis and capitalism as simply ideology, um, you miss... What psychoanalysis at least sees, right, which is desire, you miss um, you miss what people want and what produces them, right? The production of the real, um, simply for uh, the reasoned or the preconscious. Oh my God, Ken's here!
0: Oh, dude. Dude, Ken, we've been talking about you for like an hour and a half. You showed up with 25 minutes left. You shouldn't be here. You should leave. You don't want to be here. Because we're about to ask you a bunch of Lacan questions. Are you ready? We
1: even came up with a nickname for you. (laughs) Lacan. Get out of
0: here. Not joking, actually. Um, Actually, we're kind of moved on a little bit. But we are talking about psychoanalysis in general. Because we're in 4.3. Uh, you have a ton of background noise, by the way, like, uh, okay, like an air conditioner and fans and stuff.
4: Um, yeah, AC is on.
0: Um, is this any better? Like, I'm a little further away. It's it. It is what it is. Um, oh shit! Uh, <laughs> mute m- m- mute yourself in between talking, and that would be great. Um, so, uh, we're we're talking basically about Fromm and Reichs. Uh, denunciations of psychoanalysis and their critiques and, and where that went with, because we're talking through the paragraph about how psychoanalysis in the eyes of D&G, no matter what we do, the way psychoanalysis has been born, the ed- way Oedipus is basically built into it even through Lacan, and you know they don't know about after, but I think it's fair to say after, that the structure is set in a very specific sets of ways, Fromm's critique that hey, we shouldn't have a bureaucracy at the top of psychoanalysis doesn't go far enough because ultimately by even starting with the pre edipal you're assuming the Oedipal. When Reich says, hey, psychoanalysis happens to be joining with social repression and that's fucked up, it's actually no, it's not that they link, it's that they are one and the same, the nature of psychoanalysis. And again, this is Guadari's bell ringing throughout this paragraph. Um... That at no point does it matter because since a patient is paying with capital, their desire is flowing through this, their desire is tied up. The axiomatic of capitalism necessarily is in the room at all times, pushing someone towards edipalization, daddy mommy, all of these. And so it doesn't matter if you have these critiques. At its base, the form of the current psychoanalytic system is the problem and needs to be rebuilt. And uh, I know last time you had a ton of thoughts on this, but I thought uh, I'd at least open up the page I'm on if you want to read the text and see through it as shared in the chat.
4: Thanks. Uh, Is the background noise any better? There's a a sound machine on, that's what was going on.
0: That's much better.
4: Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, But, not but. It's just curious. Um, so, so would, would uh, psychoanalysis still be Oedipal if no one had to pay? Or, or would that like, uh, make some sort of impact into this critique a
0: little? Oh, I mean, it would change the machine by nature. Uh, mm-hmm. To say very cleanly, um, uh, psychoanalysis depends directly on an economic mechanism its relations with money through which the decoded flows of desire as taken up in the axiomatic of capitalism must necessarily be reduced to a familial field where the application of this axiomatic is carried out. Oedipus as the last word of capitalist consumption, sucking away at daddy mommy, being blocked and triangulated on the couch. So it's, and that's the, the line they have. So it's where the the presumption, the um, ad hoc, creation of why things are desired so it's so it's so it's and that's their play they actually go very hard into saying it's specifically about absorption of surplus value um as a mechanism which is a hardcore uh, i mean Guadari, we know he he wasn't exactly a fan of psychoanalysis uh, especially at this point in his career but it's pretty harsh and there you go
4: it sounds like they're almost saying that Oedipus is prior to capital and i don't know if i yes. agree with that
1: yeah they you can find oedipus in the primitive right according to deleuze and guattari oedipus you know it's God, it's the third part of the it's the third part of representation
4: and i guess i just feel like that's that's fudging a little cuz then you say that that confession that the form of confession is prior to capital and I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, and I uh, So So like parts of it. Parts of psychoanalysis absolutely. Like object relations. I'm totally on board. Like um What's his name Frenzy uh and I mean, even like Winnicott and a few people like that where where it you definitely have this like master with all the knowledge um and the master is actually in the place where it believes it has all the knowledge, and then you have the the subject that's created and constructed in the room um. But, and Freud certainly did this in the beginning, right? And he made, and that was his, like, major mistake. And that was the whole point of Dora. Dora wasn't a success. Um, and and then the turn later on is that uh, people do this themselves. Like, people infect themselves with this. Um, so it is it is supposed, like, at some point in time... The, the, the analyst becomes the subject supposed to know. Uh, just some innocuous, absolutely meaningless gesture is, is a signifier that's latched onto, that's elevated to, oh, he has some sort of secret knowledge about me. But the, the move in late Freud and then in Lacan is, is acknowledging that the, that, <laughs> that the subject's supposed to know is a farce and it's something to be dissolved. Um, and that, and and that, it's sort of like, you know, it's a perverse intoxicant to to actually stand in that place. So, uh, so I don't know if that agrees with capitalist discourse.
0: Um, you know, so, there so is this. Just, let me let me jump in real whole, quick because, and, let me just jump in real quick because I want to stick on that point. That because I'm I'm understanding you. I want to just move back to the idea that. Um, um, specifically, edipalization exists before psychoanalytic uh, intervention. The idea being that since in a capitalist mode of production, uh, the familial is actually, the f- family is uh, effectively the training ground for how to exist within capital, and everything is focused through the mommy, daddy, me triangle, mother and father mm-hmm. being the filter that all are seen through that it's not psychoanalysis that gives us the Oedipus complex. On the contrary, and to go back a little bit, the subjects of psychoanalysis arrive already Oedipalized. All that psychoanalysis does is reinforce the movement and add a last burst of energy to the displacement of the entire unconscious. The idea mm-hmm. being that uh, that they come to this Oedipalized, not because that's their a priori condition of being human, but because that's how capitalism manufactures subjects, and psychoanalysis exists to basically reinforce that and kind of complete the cycle, or uh, to stop someone from breaking out of that. Uh, you might say.
4: Yeah, I That's mean, understanding of their not, turn, and that makes sense. Uh, I just would make the the what I think is a reasonable point to say that psychoanalysis isn't a monolith. Um, Well, no, of course. We're
0: talking specifically about their reference, and I think it's aimed at Freudian and, uh, I think, Lacanian of the era. Although, there's still a lot of threads of this, I think, still today. But I think uh, they're very much in reference to of the era, for Guattari, especially. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, one of the ends
4: of analysis has become nothing. Right. One of the ends of analysis is, is not to see how your mommy and daddy have shaped who you are today and then to accept that and to move on. That's not, that's not one of the, the passes or whatever in Lacanian psychoanalysis. So, but, but no, I, it but certainly seems like it was used that say, way in May 68, right?
0: Well, I, and I would say um, even today, I would argue that it's not directly, oh, you need a good relationship with mommy, daddy but you do need a good relationship with the master signifier, the law lack, like all of the things that are necessarily Oedipalization, just not in the same direct, Hey, this is my daddy. This is my mommy. It's more, Oh, all is seen through the symbol and that structure still exists.
4: Yeah. Um, sort of, Uh, yeah. I mean, you make a good point. Um, you know, this is that whole, uh, the non dupes, airmost those who do not let themselves be deceived by the symbolic fiction airmost um which which sounds um uh, it sounds like you know uh don't don't rage against the machine or anything like that but it's that's not quite it you know the um this is when Zizek talks about the idiot and the fool and what the so the idiot's the one who um who points out the king's wearing no clothes
0: unabashedly? Right. Yes. Um, this is they even all say that in here. They're very clear. They agree. With, they agree with that in this. Like they. Yeah. As, as well, far as they're concerned, Lacan's responsible for basically showing us how all of this works on that side. He just didn't mm-hmm. go far enough. I mean, that's their refrain, kind of always.
4: And then, and then the fool sort of like uh, uh, takes his time, you know. He understands that he can't, he can't change anything, he or she, they, can't change anything if they get themselves killed um, or, if, or if they aren't able to buy food at a grocery store um, for the time being. Uh, so the fool is the, is the one who plays the role of the fool. Oh, what beautiful garments you have while, you know, plotting to overthrow or whatever. Um. But but what would you like from me? I guess no.
0: This con- this conversation I think is what we wanted. Like that. Oh, okay. I, I mean, so it's uh, just to mention we have Kedis here who is uh, Bedouian, which isn't a word, but I'm I'm saying it is because I just love saying Badu's name with various suffixes. Um, he's tastic, uh, you might say. Um, <laughs> but uh. So it's, it's, we have a couple sort of different views. And so it was like, as he started talking, I was like, Jesus Christ, Ken, I'd love to have Ken in here. So just having the conversation, I think is the bigger thing because as you're aware, I am not an expert in these things. And so it's nice to have that sort of, um, I mean, your general perspective because you, you dig this shit a lot and you really do like wholeheartedly believe in it and you believe in it, I think in a way that makes it very,
4: I do not believe in it. (laughs) <laughs> by we the
0: way. psychoanalysis no. no fucking way no well whatever you know what i mean you have a <laughs> i don't know how to put it you have an investment in it in a different way than i, I am did. invested
4: yeah i am invested yeah. so
0: so as such you have a different mentality mentality of uh how the angle for these things so it just helps a lot uh to just have okay. that direction we were going over um uh, posted the uh, L diagram. I think it's called the L or is it the R? I can never remember. It's, uh, um, it's Lambda.
4: Yeah. It's yeah the it's the um,
0: um, and the, we were describing it and going through sort of that setup. And that's when you first came up as Jean Claire said. So, um, because it's, it's one of those things where now they're starting to get into this deep critique of some things that are really sort of core to their belief structure. And I think if I were to say, It's not so much that they're saying all psychoanalysis is shit. They're saying psychoanalysis as it exists. And they're being very particular with the usage of the representation here because their move is to start talking about schizoanalysis. They're they're not saying that there is nothing that can be done within analysis. It's this way that we do psychoanalysis is fucked up because Mm -hmm. psychoanalysis kind of plays the role uh, in the areas of capitalism where family failed to edipalize someone don't worry, you got your psychoanalyst there in the corner waiting, <laughs> is, is yeah. kind of the setup that's, that's, that's there. And I would argue that we see that even today, um, modern, like not even Absolutely. psychoanalysis, um, as someone who went through therapy in a lot of different ways, it's the core. It's the core of shit. Like it really is.
4: Yeah, um, you have your outsiders, but like there's, there are... There are people in there who aren't going to try to funnel you in to being happy and or or being uh, normal in an abnormal situation or something like that, right? But uh, definitely, um, you gotta watch out for that because uh, the majority the majority will sort of have the belief that the that the um, That you're the problem, not the world, right? Um, things are great, you just have a bad attitude.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, your your parents didn't fix you up right. Here we are to make sure, because we Mm -hmm. need productive people. Mm
3: Um Brooks, I would like to make a comment if I if I can, please.
0: No, please, please.
3: Um Ken uh, wasn't here, and I know Ken, I, I think he remembers uh, me from uh, Lacan group, uh, but uh, the um, uh, previous paragraphs uh, that we were reading, or the, the main paragraphs we were reading today, I think, uh, uh, well, uh, I think either they are some kind of uh, uh, critic, critics, um Uh, against uh, psychoanalysis or maybe psychoanalytic practice at the time the book uh, was written, Uh, or on uh, the other side um, they are maybe uh, some uh, kind of uh, criticism of the the way uh, capitalism uh, may Capitalize in quotes uh, psychoanalysis. Uh, I think this uh, because, uh, first of all, uh, um, I'm not really familiar uh, with uh, uh, Deleuze Guattari writings about uh, capitalism. I didn't read uh, uh, this book, uh, and uh, I'm not sure if uh, they are. Uh, if if they're dealing with uh, criticism in uh, psychoanalysis, per se. Uh, And the second one was uh, because um, you can find uh, the same uh, kind of uh, critics in psychoanalysis on Lacan. And you can find the same uh, criticism in uh, Freud, for example, and in some sense, maybe... Uh, they, they're not being uh, really critical about uh, psychoanalysis as much as they are being uh, critical about uh, how uh, the uh, machines of capitalism uh, can make use of uh, psychoanalysis in this. Or maybe the uh, terms uh, with which psychoanalysis is dealing with, like the Oedipal. Uh, uh, Edible stage or Edible development, the uh, idea of uh, Edible development and so on. Uh, Maybe um, uh, it it would be uh, easier in uh, some sense if we could go uh, uh, to those uh, critical uh, points where uh, they are uh, criticizing or they're talking about uh, psychoanalysis because uh, we went through uh, certain points. Uh, but um, as I stopped to those points, um, I-, I wasn't really sure uh, uh, what the uh, and Gattari are really uh, talking about because this is uh, too little uh, text. Uh, for me to understand uh, what they're uh, talking about Uh, but the points uh, i made uh, earlier uh, were about maybe to uh, to give uh, some glimpse or to to widen uh, the view and the perspective of uh, analysis of psychoanalysis which uh, can uh, may elaborate it uh, further but unfortunately uh, we didn't uh, have him during the reading uh, this time. Uh, by this, uh, I mean maybe uh, if we uh, if we go to the text, maybe even with another uh, paragraph, or maybe if we go another time, because maybe we don't have time uh, this time. Um, and actually, uh, the it, next it, it, the next easier.
0: the next the next paragraph is a bit long for us to start. I would ask if you can come mm. back next week. We're not going to start it today because I I will finish reading it and then we will hit the hour mark. And I try not to make this go to two to three okay. four hours. Uh, we've done that before. It sucks. The two and a half hours is when everyone's brain starts dying. Um, mm. But next week we can go. The next paragraph actually is very crisp in their specific critique of psychoanalysis and oedipalization and the the way psychoanalysis operates. Uh, Let me read two sentences from it and we'll discuss and then we'll close out uh, because I think it works. I'm just going to read the beginning. Psychoanalysis clearly states, states clearly that unconscious representation can never be apprehended independently of the deformations, disguises, or displacements it undergoes. Unconscious representation, therefore, comprises essentially by virtue of its own law, a represented that is displaced in relation to an agency in a constant state of displacement. But from this, two unwarranted conclusions are drawn that this agency can be discovered by way of the displaced represented, and this precisely because this agency itself belongs to representation as a non represented representative or as a lack that juts out into the overfull of representation. I'm just going to keep reading. Fuck it, we're going over. This results from the fact that displacement refers to very different movements. At times, the movement through which desiring production is continually overcoming the limit, becoming deterritorialized, causing its flows to escape, going beyond the threshold of representation. At times, on the contrary, the movement through which the limit itself is displaced and now passes. To the interior of the representation that performs the artificial re-territorializations of desire. If the displacing agency can be concluded from the displaced, this is only true in the second sense where molar representation is organized around a representative that displaces the represented. But this is certainly not true in the first sense, where the molecular elements are continually passing through the links in the chain. We have seen in this perspective how the law of representation perverted the productive forces of the unconscious and induced in its very structure a false image that caught desire in its trap, the impossibility of concluding from the prohibition as to what is actually prohibited. Yes, Oedipus is indeed the displaced represented. Yes, castration is indeed the representative, the displacing agency, the signifier, But none of that constitutes an unconscious material, nor does any of it concern the productions of the unconscious. Oedipus, castration, the signifier, etc. exist at the crossroads of two operations of capture. One, where repressive social production becomes replaced by beliefs. The other, where repressed desiring production finds itself replaced by representations. To be sure, It is not psychoanalysis that makes us believe. Oedipus and castration are demanded, then demanded again, and these demands come from elsewhere and from deeper down. But psychoanalysis did find the following means and fills the following function. Causing beliefs to survive even after repudiation. Causing those who no longer believe in anything to continue believing reconstituting a private territory for them, a private Urstadt, a private capital. Dreams of capital. Dreams as capital, said Freud. Does that help at all, Kedis? Because it's actually, I think, a pretty crisp set of paragraphs. There's some terms in there that if you're newer to to D&G and if you're coming in, there's some terms I'm happy to sort of explain and talk through, but it's actually a really crisp sort of, almost manifesto of how they feel about it. It isn't, to be clear, it's not psychoanalysis that makes us believe Oedipus and castration are demanded. These things are demanded. Psychoanalysis found a way to make us believe after repudiation. After we don't believe anymore, (laughs) we continue believing. This private capital, private Urstadt, private territory that we are given when we no longer have those sort of large-scale beliefs those dreams, you may say. Now we get to have just capital and continue somehow having the beliefs underneath. It's a really, I like this setup, but it's a it's a pretty crisp thing to be great. So hopefully that helped a little. Uh, please, comments, go for it.
3: I I'll try to make a short uh, comment. I uh, just in general, this is a really dense uh, paragraph, and I think yeah. it is related uh, to what we uh, read uh, before this one. If we uh, start um, uh, talking about uh, the important elements in this paragraph, I, I think it's going to be uh, long in you know, longer than uh, the time we have. Maybe uh, it would be interesting to start with the points of this paragraph in the next session.
0: Yeah, next session we'll do a rereading. I um, think we have a couple minutes, so I'm, I'm I think it's worth going through a couple of them, uh, just to try to top line it. We're, the way meaning is produced for Deleuze and Guattari is through the the syntheses, the sort of lived experience of desiring machines, partial objects that connect, disconnect. And the resultant things become both the plane of consistency, our body without organs, but also our subjectivity. We are produced in a very real sense from mass amounts of these. Uh, from the other direction, we have representations. We have to be able to talk to people. As such, we use words for things. So this language existed before us. I, I didn't get born and then learn a language alongside everyone i was born and taught a language when i'm taught a language i'm told words mean things the example that they use which i very much like is uh if you had old time when the first language was invented and written and they had the letter a which meant water uh hanging out over a lake someone who didn't speak the language or read what is that oh that that's water so that then they point to the symbol the they're not talking about the body they're talking about the symbol we're in a place now of representation where it's not directly connected to anything that we might call um you know sort of actual concrete it's it's disconnected from lived experience of desiring machines as such when i say or tell you that we you need water to survive or in oedipus's case you you, you want to fuck your mom uh, you want you want to commit incest these things aren't telling my desire machines, my desire machines don't know what the fuck any of this means, but I get told what I want. And as such, I create a very specific representation, a displaced represented. It's this thing where uh, I say I want water in my head. What does that mean? It means this perfectly crisp, cool glass of water that I see on a commercial. And the image of that sits with me. And that becomes what I desire. Well, it's not. My desire machines don't have any clue. They just want and go. But I've been told that's what I want. And so I have a signifier. I have this displaced represented that takes place of my actual desire. So the desire machines still go there. The power sort of gets subsumed into that. But now, in this moment, I no longer have direct connection with my desires. Now I'm being told what I want. And this happens not just with water or Oedipus, but in a capitalist world, fucking everything. And so as these things sort of play with us, as these bits of representation go into us, we have this really odd thing that happens where now we are playing with strata and beliefs that are interconnecting representations rather than like a truly lived, here's my understanding of the world only. So specifically psychoanalysis, Plays with representation comes back to that and doesn't necessarily create beliefs. Uh, Representation as a thing does that, there's an interplay. But psychoanalysis gives us a way to have beliefs survive even after we understand, like imminently, that they're silly uh, or not part of or not connected to things. They cause beliefs to survive after repudiation, they cause those who no longer believe in anything to continue believing because it. Forms and plays with our desire. If I till a field with very specific lines, and the water begins running through for irrigation, it doesn't matter if later on I go through and I change half of the field. That water is still slamming up against those things. The structure is there for desire to flow as it does, even if I don't have the representations anymore. Even if I'm not a Christian, I'm not. I, I kind of never was. Uh, that i don't even know what that means really but my desire flows kind of mimic that underlying thing because there's a way i was raised that's what are these representations well the the structure is there i'm put into it and that private version of things the the brooks version of representation rather than the sort of global here is what i'm doing inside of society here's my roles i'm my family does X. My Alliant, which is the group I'm with, does Y. Or we all do things for the despot because he gives me orders. Now it's privatized. Now it's me. I, as a subject, am forced to figure out what the fuck I believe in. I don't really believe in anything, but I, I still believe in the law, these things that are unknown that I'm unable to sort of speak to. And this is what they say psychoanalysis does. They say this structure does at a core level to our unconscious. Is that fair, Jack? Is that a decent summary of that? Because it's a really complex, and we will, next week, Kedis, join us. We will reread and go sentence by fucking sentence, because I agree with you. It's incredibly dense, but I feel like it's incredibly important.
3: I'll try to make a note uh, this time, uh, and uh, for the second week, uh, I, I'll get it uh, written, and I, I maybe will go to uh, some of the main points of this one. But I right. hope I hope we have uh, also, Ken, because some uh, things from psychoanalysis uh, are really hard.
0: It, this part, uh, I would agree with you for sure. I'll do my best to try to get Ken in here. But uh, I think here we can talk a little bit more generally about representation and specifically um, the, the imaginary and the symbolic. Because that's... Uh, Mm-hmm. That's their, like, I think the more generic, we don't have to necessarily go into like, here's Lacan's interpretation or this or that. It's when they talk about this, they're talking about the, the, the way that the law, for example, works it represented displaced in relation to an agency. We can, I think, use these terms. I'm, I'm pretty confident I'm able to help define and lay them out. And I think, um, we can actually go through, even if he doesn't show up, but I, uh, we will all just pray for Ken. Of oh, course, of Like, course, good, of like course. Good, good, pious of people, course. we will pray for Ken. <clears throat> uh,
3: I think uh, it, it will uh, be uh, fine uh, I, either way. But, uh, for example, if we wanted to uh, make uh, the relation between uh, what happens between the imaginary and the symbolic intervention, I think uh, we might shortly need to go to the schema I showed you, and uh, it will be more easier to catch what's going on in uh, this relation. Even with the relation to the laws of, of which you were uh, talking before, for example, the way uh, in which my uh, the relation of me is uh, with the other members of society or in uh, in a certain situation and so on and so on. Uh, which is not uh, really thought in uh, or put uh, in plain words in uh, what somebody is saying, but it's uh, there because, as we told earlier, it, it is unconscious. All that is not that... Uh, uh, when somebody speaking doesn't think of that, he's uh, maybe uh, projecting himself subconsciously. In uh, uh, he's abiding uh, subconsciously by those laws. Well, and uh, here's and, where uh, you're
0: getting into a hundred percent why we need to spend time on this because this paragraph is the last mm-hmm. one. Like after this, they aren't going back this is our chance to really spend some time and here is their critique of how they see psychoanalysis working. Here's how psychoanalysis functions. Here's these elements because the very next thing that they're going to be talking about is how schizoanalysis works against this. This is the last step. This is that we're about to hit the peak of that mountain and down the other side is schizoanalysis and there's no slowing down. So we need to do our best uh, collectively to understand here is their critique. Here's how they see it functioning because, um, and I, having read this book a few times, I do believe their conception around how schizoanalysis should function, despite my distaste for the term, uh, I think is much more in line with how I I would love to see a way for us to figure out how to turn that into an actual machine element or or a, a way of working. The This is the last chance. So anyone who's got issues, questions, anything around schizoanalysis we've been talking about, This next week will be, uh, like, that's it. So this next week will be our last chance to go over Lacan and Freud. From here on out, it is straight juxtaposition uh, of everything, and so we need to actually have a position to juxtapose, and uh, it's important. So we will do that. If that sounds good to you, Kedis, uh, Doug, we'd love to have you, by the way, and I'm glad I can give you chills still. It's been a couple of years. I'm glad I can still affect you that way, baby
3: um great, great. i'll I'll try to be uh, prepared and in time on schedule uh, i think really, i'll
0: be there I love it uh we will be putting up an event so keep an eye out um and uh, uh let me see uh you are already set as to loose so we'll ping everyone you'll get a ping so we'll we'll do what we can next week i look forward to it great. thank all of you for joining us this was wonderful uh, as always um just thanks everyone for doing this it's my highlight of the week every week I love all you fucking people.